Hey guys, welcome to episode number 13 of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple podcast by BSL Nutrition. I am Ben Brown, your host, co-founder and CEO of BSL Nutrition. Today, I had uh, my friend Jennifer Powder on the show. Jennifer is a two-time Ironman athlete, an exercise physiologist, a weight loss and fitness expert. Jennifer Powder could train Olympic athletes if she wanted to, but happily for us, she doesn't. Instead, Jennifer coaches regular women with imperfect lives who want to look and feel amazing from the inside out. We had a phenomenal, phenomenal conversation about all the things that women are struggling with and why the weight loss journey goes so much deeper than just exercise and nutrition and how uh, it's important to identify uh, emotions and lifestyle and relationships and uh, self-love and all of those things that may seem frou-frou on the outside, but really are uh, necessary to start to create change. So this podcast is not just for women. It's for men to both identify with themselves and support their partners. It's for trainers to better understand the clients that you're working with. And so I hope that you can see the value in it just like I have and I hope you enjoy. And hey, if you love this podcast and you resonate with the people that we are interviewing, then do me a favor and subscribe and leave a review on how much you like it. Um, I am so appreciative and uh, hopefully can continue to offer uh, immense value and and, uh, incredible guests. Thank you. So Jen, how do you help women look and feel amazing from the inside out? You know, part of my process has been taking what the transformation process I had to go through with myself and then sharing it. And, you know, I fully believe that if you want to have permanent change on the outside, right? If you want to be able to lose weight and keep it off forever, if you want to feel happier, then you've always got to start inside. And I truly believe that's one of the most neglected components. And I know that because I neglected it in my own self, even sort of knowing all that I did with, you know, the degrees I had amassed over the years, but just my own human experience of kind of sticking in denial of what was really going on for me emotionally. So I believe that it's a big deal. And so what did that look like for you? What's, what's, what's the background that led you up to this point? Um, well, so I did my, my twenties was spent, you know, getting my master's in exercise physiology and running numerous marathons. And I did Ironman when I hit 30, just simply because I thought it would be cool. I didn't even know how to swim. And I decided to register for Ironman Canada and I had to right. spend a year learning how to do front crawl. Right. And then, you know, I got married and I had a baby and then I had another baby. And pretty soon I was like carrying a solid 35-ish extra pounds on my five, six, you know, five foot six frame. And, you know, it's not a hundred pounds, but it was definitely, I felt heavy. I felt I had one pair of pants that I wore and I... I just, I was this bigger person, but I had shrunk my personality. Were you, were you, um, because you had been training consistently doing, you know, marathons and and triathlons and Ironman and stuff like that. So what, after you had the kids, did you become more sedentary or what were the things that contributed to the weight gain? Yeah. You know, well, I had my first baby and then, you know, um, got back into working out and then I had my second baby and I was also starting my own business at the time. So add in two little kids in a community where we had just moved, no family support, extremely isolated, working all day or, you know, running the day shift as a mom. And then my second shift as an entrepreneur at night, waking up nursing, both my kids were nursing at the same time. Like, 
And I felt like I was surviving. And the thought that I kept having was, I am not here to survive. Like I am here to live with energy to thrive. And that's now the brand that I do everything under is that I fully believe women should have the right to energy to thrive. And what happened for me is, uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I was rewarding myself with food and wine. I'd have a hard day. The kids would be, you know, I'd finally put them down. I'd come upstairs, go straight to the cabinet, pour a glass of Shiraz and grab a little handful of chocolate chips as I went into the office. Yeah. And then I'd say, I don't know why I just can't lose this baby weight. Right. And so what I was doing was very disconnected from what I knew. And I, I just thought, oh, I need to exercise more. So Ben, this is a critical point. As somebody who's been a trainer, who's got a master's, all these things, I still at that point believed, oh, I just need to exercise more. So I signed up for Ironman again. Of course. Right. It was not the answer. So it was, I drove my already like taxed body into the ground and I felt like I broke. And my turning point came when I was, you know, it was minus 30 in Calgary, which is like, it's cold. And I was running and I was a back of the packer running. I was barely you know, jog walking and my heart rate was skyrocketing. And I just had tears pouring down my face and the sun was out, even though it was so cold and they were freezing to my face. And I just thought I'm on a path to nowhere good. Like I, I am, this is not working for me. And I, it was like this message. I was like, what are you going to do, Jen? Change or continue? And I knew at that moment I had to radically change so much about my life and how I was approaching it to get healthier again. Amazing. So then what were the next steps that you took to overcome that? Um, well, at that point, you have to look at my mindset. I had believed that, you know, I was giving everything to everybody else around me, my kids, my husband at the time, uh, my business. And I truly believed that my value, I had more value staying at home to wash a floor than I did to get out and go for a walk. Mm-hmm. And so I had fallen, like I wasn't even on my priority list. I had fallen so far off it. I didn't even know how to get back on it. And so the first thing I did was I reached out for help, right? I am a life coach. I was a trainer. I, uh, and I reached out for the support because I know I did not have the energy to help myself. I was giving too much of myself away to everybody else. I needed somebody to give me some strength and accountability. So that was the first thing I did. So how do you empower women to take that next step? And, and two things is, is one is for, because a lot of people hit rock bottom as you expressed and, and say, I need to make a change. Now's the time. I, it can't possibly get worse or I can, I cannot let it get worse. But also for women that may not realize that they're headed down that path and men and whomever yeah. um, is how do you help them take that next step? Or I guess, realize that they need to start to make the change and give them the freedom to make that change? You know, I think the biggest thing that I say to my clients all the time is the biggest lie humans tell themselves, men or women, is I can do this on my own. So I had spent a few years believing I could do it on my own, right? I was smart. This was my field. Obviously, you know, if I'd done Ironman, sure as hell, I could lose 30 pounds on my own, right? And I couldn't. And so we have to stop believing, you know, if you get your hair color and dyed, you don't do it yourself. Usually you go to see someone, you have somebody prepare your taxes. You have somebody, you know, we see specialists for all sorts of things and health has become super confusing. It's overwhelming the amount of information that's out there, especially in the weight loss industry. And most of it's crap, Mm -hmm. right? So you, first of all, I think you need to be willing to receive and to believe that you have value in asking and getting help. The problem with women, I'm not sure if it affects men the same way is when you have low self-esteem, it's really hard to pay for help. You feel like you don't deserve it. You feel like you should just sort of suck it up. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, that's wrong. Yeah. So, so the, one of the reasons that I wanted you to come on the show, Jen, is, is because you, of your background, because you're, you know, you've been a trainer, you understand the physical activity component, but you also understand the nutrition component. And we have a lot of trainers that, that tune in and listen. And I thought that your message would really resonate with a lot of the trainers because, you know, it's common for us as, as kind of meathead trainers to really just be in the trenches and, and talk about nutrition and, and specific guidelines like diet plans and macronutrients. And, and while it works for some people and while having accountability from an exercise standpoint works for, for some people, there's a major component that we're not addressing, which is the mental emotional standpoint. And so I wanted you to talk a little bit about that to talk about what it takes to create some change within that mental emotional state. Is that something you can address? Yeah, for sure. You know, one of the things I tell my clients and I've got a lot of friends who are still trainers too, is no matter what, no one will ever have enough time to out train their nutrition, right? Mm -hmm. Ever. And so while they might show up to the gym or, or be accountable to the exercise piece that they've committed to, if that client is sad, bored, resentful, lonely, isolated, hurt, in pain, uh, suffering in any way at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, they don't crave kale. No, they, they don't crave kale. And, and what, what's really hard, and especially if they're suffering with chronic stress, right? We're living with really stress. I mean, the stress in our most people's lifestyles now has become normal and it's not. And so if they're not sleeping well, there's a whole myriad of things happening there where if they don't sleep well, they don't have the ability to make as better, you know, as good of decisions as they should or could. And that's why so many clients are like, I know better, but I'm not doing better. Like, why am I doing this at night? And so for a trainer, you know, if you, I I believe trainers, I truly believe trainers all care about their clients. I'm working with one right now because I'm getting married in July and I knew that I wanted accountability to like show up and get my stuff done. Um, I believe they care about their clients. And so the next step is developing your curiosity for what's really going on in that client's life. And even if you don't necessarily have the, complete skill set to handle all of the information simply by asking a question and letting a client verbally process or say what's happening for them emotionally provides relief. Yeah. Right. So for me, my marriage was falling apart back then, Ben, like I did not know it. Uh, the busyness of two little kids and the disconnection that was growing you know, daily, the fractures that were there. I was drinking wine to not face an inner truth that was very present for me. It was too painful. And, you know, we get very good at using food to numb emotion, except it numbs it. The emotion doesn't go away. You're just suppressing it. And so a lot of times it's asking clients questions like, well, what is it that you're pretending to not know? Or what's really going on for you that's hard right now? Or what other things in your life are stressful? Or what's the hardest thing you're coping with right now? Or what's the thing that you feel that, God, you just hate feeling? So asking those kind of questions can start to, first of all, it deepens the relationship you have with your client. You know, I wouldn't say asking that right on your first session. Mm -hmm. It's probably a little bit, right? You got to have some trust there but it will really allow that relationship to deepen and for that space to get created where there's some safety to just share. And that in itself is helpful and transformative emotionally. So, so when we start to acknowledge and acknowledgement is a huge step. So when we start to acknowledge that we are coping with these emotions, with stress by eating or drinking or both, which so many of us do, and I'm certainly guilty of, um, 
what are the steps that we can take to uh, identify and then overcome those those triggers? How do, how do we start to overcome those things? Um, well, you can't change what you're not aware of. So that's one of the things I say all the time. You cannot change what you're not aware of. And if you don't have a way to generate that awareness, then you're stuck in a pattern, right? That's the neuroplasticity of the brain is the mm -hmm. patterns that we live in. And so I think for trainers to understand behavior change and emotional, like emotional processing is huge. And one of the models you and I were chatting about briefly before we started was one of the models I teach my clients and share with my friends who are trainers, which is it's five parts or six parts. Um, one, the client still needs to have hope that change is possible in their life. So they have to have a dream. Right? So they have to dream that life can be different than it is and that it can get better. So I think that clients already have that if they're working with trainers. So check. Yeah. Right? Two, they have to decide which, one, which dream they're going to focus on. So if, and then they cement that decision by making a commitment to whatever, a 20-session training package or mm -hmm. whatever it might be. So you've got the first half pretty looked after. Right? This is where stage four is where a lot of clients fall off or opt out and trainers can help right here. And stage four is feel the fear. Fear is always part of the change process, always. Cause we're transitioning sure. from what we know to something that we don't know yet. We're not familiar with it. And fear isn't like a feeling of being scared. Fear is procrastination, avoidance, maybe not showing up. It could be self-sabotage. Uh, fear is really sneaky. Um, it could be, you know, being so self-deprecating all the time. It could be a number of different things. So if a trainer understands that, you know, fear is going to creep into their client's life in some way, shape, or form, then teach them about it. Tell them to expect it. Explain what it might look like for them. Mm -hmm. And that it's normal. It is normal to feel anxious, uncertain, a little bit scared, that there's a process happening at here, and it's how we evolve, right? You have to load your body with different intensities to see it adapt, you know, to see it, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not adapt, but uh, uh, develop, right? Sure. And... Um, Emotionally, we do the same thing. We have to add on different intensities to our emotional self to move through it. So I think that's the key thing. And then five, that your tra the trainer can be one of the biggest sources of like a cha championing a client and cheerleading them. Because there's a lot of forces at work in somebody's life where they're not getting that. Maybe their partner is critical of them from taking time away from the family by going to the gym. Or maybe their boss is like loading on the demands and, you know, they don't want to show up. Or whatever. There's a lot of naysayers in people's life. So a, a, a trainer can be a huge source of support and to lean into that. Right. Um, and then the last part is to rest and celebrate. There is always a gap between where we are and where we want to be. And mm -hmm. if we keep looking at like, wow, I have so far to go or I'm not there yet, or I can't believe it's only been two weeks and I haven't dropped 30 pounds, like right. expectations of what's physiologically possible uh, versus what clients think is possible. they are two different things. So you got to manage your client's expectations and like make them notice, how, you know, remember like a month ago, you couldn't even run at this level or you couldn't even lift this weight, right? Like that's amazing. Change is happening. Um, Cause when you're in the change process, you don't see it for yourself. Yeah. And then you just, you go through the cycle over and over and over again. We will always be engaging in that change cycle. Yeah. That's a good one. Cause we always, well, I, I'm, I know we, we don't reward ourselves enough for, for being, for those small, you know, those no. small ones. Whether it's day to day, yeah. Like we, yes. I remember doing Ironman and being like, "No big deal." What? <laughs> like I didn't even know how to swim a year ago, right? Like, or if you, you, you just you start to minimize your successes, and that's also part of North American culture. For, and I know for women, that's very true. Oh, it's no big deal. 
I all, oh yeah, I just, oh, and then you just skip right over it. We skip the good and we often very much focus on the negative, what we're not good at, what we haven't achieved yet, where we're not succeeding, uh, the gaps and deficiencies. And so it takes a lot of, you know, work to shift your mind to where you want it to go, not to where it's, you know, what's not going well. It seems that it's very common um, for women to have, to, to take this quote unquote selfless approach. Um, to their life and it's focusing on everything but themselves to to kind of putting everyone else's needs in front of theirs and do you find that that's a, a legitimate excuse um, as to why someone shouldn't be eating better taking better care of themselves um, you know exercising or is it simply or and or is it simply a way of women to experience some validation for the fact that they may not be happy with where they're at in their life? Okay, there's a couple big questions in there. <laughs> so let, okay, let's start, um, let's start with the first one. So is it a, I think something about a valid excuse. So what so, I know that is, it's a limiting belief. And it's very slippery how that starts to become your truth. So the most confident, mm -hmm. outgoing woman, uh, you heard, that can slowly erode with circumstances in life. It's, and it's very dependent on the support you have and your partner, right? If, if what you're telling yourself gets reinforced, if the, because everybody, who doesn't like to be taken care of? Kids love to be taken care of, husbands love to be taken care of, friends, you know, people will suck you dry. Mm -hmm. And unless you have a boundary and you have the ability to go, this isn't working for me, right? I, you have to renegotiate and often have some new conversations with your loved ones about this isn't working. And that can be hard. How do you know it's not working though? Because if that's what makes you feel good, um, if, if seemingly you helping everyone else is what gives you some validation or makes you feel good, how do you know, how does someone know that it's, it's a problem and, and that you they know. Really should be focusing on the inside? <laughs> know. You know, you, you will have an, you, any woman who's in this position, trust me, they know they have a gut level intuitive sense that they are just no longer they look in the mirror and they wonder how the hell did i get this way or they'll feel who am i now where did i go how did i lose that part of me there is a deep innate awareness the trick is can you admit it's there or do you try to keep a mask on and be fine i've got a great acronym for fine but i won't share it but like you are pretending you've got this no, mask. Share it. What, what's your acronym effed up inside nice exterior right so, effed up it, so things are all broken and traumatic like you know not feeling good in here but your exterior is oh, i'm good i'm fine yeah. everything's great yeah i know i'm so because you're told as a woman you are told from the minute you get a baby placed in your arms for moms you should be happy it doesn't matter what your birth experience is like. It doesn't matter that you might be mourning the life that you just left behind. The expectation is for you to just joyfully embrace motherhood when really it's a, it's a really hard transition. And you do it on your own often in our culture in North America. And for a dad, I know things change for a dad, but not a ton. You go right back to work within a week or so if you're, you know, you go right back into this world that's very familiar to you while this woman's at home, it, it's a crazy adjustment. And often we just suck, push those feelings down because of course we're happy to have a baby. Of course we want it. You know, if that's, if that's for moms, that's one thing, but this could be with any transition. Even if you just move houses or move cities, even when you choose the change, you can still have feelings about the change. Okay. So, so then 
we're aware. Okay. Yeah. We're aware. We're putting we're everyone aware. else in front of our own needs. We we acknowledge the fact that if I want to be able to give my best to everyone else, I have to take care of myself at the end of the day. How do we make that transition? Um, what, what's the step to loving yourself like you're loving everyone else? Yeah. As much yeah. if not more. Um, well, I do a lot of work with my clients around inner critic, right? So the inner critic is that voice inside your head that basically tells you all sorts of mean stuff. And a lot of it is recognizing the truths that you, so we all live our life by a set of rules that we have created at some point that worked, but may not work anymore. Right? So we create these rules for ourselves in our lives. And at some point those rules just don't work anymore. They don't apply. The rules need to change. Mm -hmm. And how you do that is going to be different for every single you know, listener out there. But the first is you got to start asking what makes you happy? What brings you joy, right? Where have you, what part of you do you miss the most? And how can you even get a little piece of that back in your life again? But this is it. Women can ask themselves these questions until the cows come home. But if you don't, if you're never forced to answer them, if no one, if no one ever is expecting you to, he, to hear an answer, then you can spend a decade asking the same questions and changing nothing. Okay. Which is why having another person in your life that's objective can be so, and neutral, can be so powerful, like a trainer, right? Or a coach in some way, shape, or form. Okay, so trainer, coach, absolutely. And, and so from a family standpoint, from a, a husband, partner, wife standpoint, what are some of the best things that we can do? Because as a, from, a, as, from a husband standpoint, there's, I, I imagine that most husbands would be thrilled to support their wives to know that they're doing something for themselves that, that's going to help them look better, feel better, you know, um, have higher libido, like just yeah. feel confident. And so what are some things that yet, yet it still seems to be a limiting factor. What are some things that we can do to support that process? Yeah. You know, a lot of my clients are married to some, some really great men and a lot aren't the relationship has just, the intimacy has been broken on so many different levels. And I think the best way, you know, one of the things that's hard is to be genuine to, first of all, don't think you know your partner. Right? Don't assume that you know everything about her experience and how things are going. Actually start to have some curiosity and with no attachment. Because a lot of men, I think, um, think they are doing a ton to support and provide. Right? They're, they're trying to create a great lifestyle, have a great house, provide things materially. Uh, they show up. They're there maybe, but they still don't necessarily know some of the inner things going on. And so I used to teach a, work a workshop called How to Stay Together When Baby Makes Three. And one of the things I made couples do in real life was what, you know, write down, like, first of all, how's this going for you? Like, how's this whole parenting, marriage thing going for you? And listen, just listen with no, not feeling attacked, but curious. How can we make this better? What's missing? Like to actually ask the questions together, but without getting triggered. Because a lot of times what happens is you ask the question and then you hear the answer and now you're defensive, right? Because now sure. it's like, well, wait, but I'm trying so hard to do all these things. How can you not appreciate me? And look what I just did for you last week. And now the woman is put onto the, what's the point of even sharing, right? Now we're fighting. I don't want to fight. Yep. I don't even, I don't feel like, like, so there's a very big pattern of, for anybody out there, read nonviolent communication. It's a great bird by Marshall Rosenberg, Rosenberg doll. Anyways, nonviolent communication. But the next step is, um, 
ask the question. Here's the thing. We each in patterns of relationship develop expectations of self, expectations of other. We have assumptions of self and assumptions of the other. I had one couple where he would come home from work and he, I mean, he would cook. He, he cooked every single night and, and they, this has been going on like two and a half years, right? They had a baby. They've been dating for, I think, four years, married for two and a half. Anyways, he said, I hate cooking. I hate it. I can't stand it. I wish you did it sometimes. And she was like, what? I love it. I was letting you cook because I thought you liked it. Oh, wow. And so just, right? And so he was trying to cook more when this is it. So they were living in this, like, well, I'm going to support you because I'm trying to give you something that you want. And he was like resentful because he didn't really want it. He was doing it because she thought she, he, he thought he was being helpful to his partner. So when you actually write down, what are my expectations? Maybe, maybe you believe your partner has the expectation that you are home every single day at five. And actually she's like, doesn't that that's not an important expectation maybe she wishes that you were gone until eight and that the u.s had a babysitter for four hours so that she could go out and do something on her own or she could meet you downtown for a drink or she could, you know we just have no idea what's really going on for our partner sometimes if unless you ask yeah have you have you um have you seen anything from the the five love languages oh yeah I'm getting married again. I'm getting married again in July, right? So if you haven't put it together for listeners, like my marriage fell apart. I got divorced. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate that I was able to find a, a much healthier kind of love for myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm super interested in it because I have experienced what happens when you don't keep that emotional intimacy. And you talked about libido. So can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. Because a lot of my clients come to me and they haven't had sex with their partners in way too long. And so you think of why people come together in the first place. Um, there's attraction and there's all this like good stuff flowing. And then when a woman, when a woman starts to not feel confident in herself, her body, um, she doesn't want to show up in the bedroom. Like it starts to take away that. And the husband can desire her as much as anything, right? So his truth is no matter if there's 10, 20, 30, what doesn't matter for him. I've heard this over and over again from guys, they still find their partner attractive and desirable, but that's an internal thing. The woman has to feel sexy. She's got to feel good in her own skin. And if she doesn't, well then that's now harming the relationship too, right? So there's a lot at stake there. Yeah, that's powerful. Gosh, um, you're just hmm. turning it up. This is, <laughs> you're blowing me away with all this great information. And obviously, you know, selfishly, I'm processing all of this for myself, for my own marriage. How can I best support my wife and my clients? And, uh, you know, and then, and hopefully everyone's finding just immense value in how they can apply this to their lives and trainers, how you can apply it to your clients. So Jen, what does your coaching process look like? Obviously you work with uh, women. I do. Handful of men, the odd man who is looking for some of that deeper emotional transformation. Um, but their men are very different to work with than women. I enjoy both, but I do work with mostly women. Yeah. And what does the coaching process look like for you? Is there, is there a timeline? Obviously you do a lot of behavioral change and that takes time. So yeah. what, what's the process look like? Yeah, for me, my programs are six months to a year privately, uh, a full-on commitment. And that first six months, we'll do um, – so here's what I believe, and here's, what, here's how I've developed my coaching practice is the first six months are spent on a lot of the practical tactical in terms of just getting some of the scientific aspects of, like, 
physiology and weight loss under your belt, right? Healthy lifestyle habits. How do you do that? And of course, mm -hmm. there's the emotional, you know, stuff that we have to dive into along the way. Um, but people, women come to me because they want to see change. They've either done everything under the sun, the most harmful pills, injections, potions, whatever, mm -hmm. and truly believe that they're obviously broken. Never true. Um, so they are, they look to see change. So I have to make sure I'm giving them something to see that change happen. Um, and then we work on the other parts in the second phase of the program, if they choose to continue for the next six months, uh, that's where we do a lot of more deeper spiritual, emotional transformation to, you know, bringing that intimacy back to self-trust to, you know, strengthening the relationship that they have with their partner, with their children, with their parenting. It's much more about the woman they are becoming, not just the body that they wanted to be in. Cause often they're in that body and now feel so much more empowered and strong and confident. I, I truly believe weight loss is an amazing vehicle for transformation because you have to face your stuff. You cannot fake it. And that's why diets don't work. And so are you, do you typically see that, you know, that the transformation takes six months, it takes a year, it takes two years. It takes longer than we wish it did. Sure. It take, yeah. And a lot of women just are so impatient because of the headlines and the bullshit that they see on all of that stuff out there, right? Lose 10 pounds in 10 days, 30 pounds in 14. Like we are bombarded with this crap. And so if you lose two pounds in a week, you think you suck. Whereas any trainer or somebody in the industry is going to be like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like that's true, pure fat loss, not just water loss too. Like you've just like high tend it, right? Mm -hmm. But a woman and the average woman doesn't know that. They are thinking, oh God, I wish I could have lost five pounds. Well, to lose five pounds every single week, like, my, you can't, unless you're starting off at like 500 pounds, which, you know, most people aren't. So we, we, as we, as health professionals in this industry have got to take a stand for truth and like combating the myths and the crap that are out there and to acknowledge, like to say no, if you know, yes. I mean, and don't just use the scale, right? Use your, how your clothes fit, how you feel, what's your energy level? How, how's your mood been? And to not just be so scale oriented, that's one piece of data. And if you're consistent with your efforts, you will get the data you want on the scale. But more importantly, how are you doing in your heart? How are you feeling when you go out? What was it like? You know, those things are really important too. What does it look like on the other side of the transformation? So they've gone, they've gone down the road, they've gone through the plateaus, they've gone through the ups and downs, the getting deep with the emotions, both within themselves and uh, addressing those issues that you talked about, not issues, but addressing the things that, that need to be spoken of with your partner, with your significant other, within your family, uh, and having gone through all of that uh, pain, change, what does that look like on the other side? That's a really good question. I cry almost, you know, I'm, I feel so blessed to do like the work that I do um, because the transformation is, it, it's night and day. And so many women come to me for weight loss. And then, you know, when, of course I collect testimonials, we collect testimonials as business owners, right? Yeah. And every single one is the weight loss was the most insignificant part. Absolutely. It wasn't all about the weight that I lost. It was the life I gained. It was the freedom to actually honor who I am and to, to be who I am, you know, to give myself permission to fully embrace who I am as a person and my sexuality and to love like I hadn't loved because you cannot give what you're incapable of receiving. And if you have shame and a lack of confidence, then you're not open to receiving that love from your partner. You're blocked, literally. 
right? And you might be, you know, weight can block you. Weight can put a barrier between you and your partner, metaphorically, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's this whole access to a new way of living and experiencing life. And I believe that this body, this vessel that we're in and this planet at this time, it is your vehicle to experience life. And so why not give your chance, like yourself, the chance to experience it in the very best of possible ways, healthy, energized, feeling radiant and confident. And that's the transformation my clients get. Yeah. And that's what people deserve to have. And yeah. uh, gosh, you're doing such a great job at helping provide that, helping educate people and take people down that road. Um, so kudos to you and how fortunate uh, people are to have someone like, like you in the industry that can help facilitate that. Jen, where can people find more about you? Uh, they can go to jenniferpowder.com and um, you can learn about some of the services I have there. But uh, like you, my podcast just came out so they can go to iTunes and search up Energy to Thrive. Um, I believe that weight loss is not for the faint of heart. And I believe that it takes an investigation of all the different layers. And so my experts don't just talk about one specific aspect of health. It's very much, uh, yeah, it's like, a, yeah, it's a multi-disciplined I guess, approach podcast in terms of the factors I believe a woman's got to pay attention to. And um, those would be the best places. Jen, thank you so much for your time, uh, for your knowledge, for your passion and wisdom. I, I can't tell you uh, how great it is to have the opportunity to sit down and chat um, and to provide so much value to everyone listening. Um, and so for those of you listening, uh, head over and check out uh, Jen's podcast, Energy to Thrive. Uh, check out her website, uh, jenniferpowder.com. And uh, until next time, I'm looking forward to uh, speaking again. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks so much for everybody who tuned in to listen. Bye for now. Pleasure.